0: We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired.
1: This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Appetite for Change. Appetite for Change is a nonprofit in North Minneapolis that uses food as a tool for health, wealth, and social change. This year, in light of COVID and the unrest in Minneapolis, Appetite for Change has continued to ground themselves in their mission and center their work around community connection and nourishing food.
0: They launched a pilot program called Community Cooks Meal Boxes, which provides fresh produce and pantry items, plus two recipes for over 300 families at no cost to the family. The program has been such a success that it has been extended for another six weeks and will continue into 2021. AFC has utilized the kitchens of their two restaurants, Breaking Bread Cafe and Station 81, to produce over 200,000 meals that have been distributed across the Twin Cities to healthcare workers, seniors, and families in need.
1: In addition, they have seven farm plots across North Minneapolis that are tended to by community members and Appetite for Change youth learning how to grow a variety of plants. These fresh fruits and vegetables are distributed throughout the North side. Even in 2021, Appetite for Change is committed to building a more equitable food system by delivering fresh and nourishing food to healthcare workers, seniors, and families in need, tending urban gardens and more.
0: We have been collaborating with Appetite for Change over this past year, and we have loved their dedication to their mission, and we so look forward to volunteering with their organization and working with them more in 2021. To learn more about Appetite for Change, listen to episode 31 of our podcast with one of their founders, Michelle Horowitz.
1: For more information or to donate, head on over to AppetiteForChangeMN.org backslash impact or on Instagram and Facebook at Appetite for Change. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, we want to ask that if you enjoy this podcast, if you wouldn't mind just taking two minutes to leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Doing so helps us reach more people so others can benefit from the inspiring information that we share. We would also love if you would share this episode with friends or family or anyone that you think may benefit from it and tag us on social media. Thank you. We are thrilled to bring you today's guest, Sue Cantor. Sue is the owner of Engage Physical Therapy and Wellness, a a private physical therapy practice that specializes in helping people get back to moving better with less pain and getting back to a more active life without expensive drugs and surgeries. Sue has over 25 years of experience in the healthcare profession. Prior to starting her private practice, she worked in a lot of different settings, Sue's experiences have included being the Director of Cardiac Rehab Research and Employee Fitness Program at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. She worked as a physical therapist at the University of Illinois Hospital in Chicago. She worked in home health physical therapy. She developed and managed a small physical therapy practice in a women's health club in the Minneapolis West Metro. Sue worked as a physical therapist and clinical education coordinator at Ridgeview Medical Center for 15 years before starting her own private practice. Sue's approach to health and well being is to partner with the patient to determine individual values, needs, and goals. She feels strongly that it is imperative to help educate patients about up to date research supported information. She uses evidence informed evaluation and treatment approaches while she builds and maintains a strong alliance with the individual. And with that, let's dive right into our conversation with Sue. Welcome Sue, we are so happy to have you with us today. We wanted to know if you could start out by sharing a little bit about your background and your story and kind of how that led you to where you are today.
2: Sure, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me, really appreciate this. So uh, my, my journey started uh, back when I uh, got a master's degree in exercise physiology with the intention of maybe going on to do a PhD in research, but uh, after I got through my master's degree I realized that I really enjoyed working with people, um, wanted to continue to pursue uh, fitness uh, prevention, health promotion. So. I started out by running a cardiac rehab program, uh, was the director for three years, uh, as well as doing some employee fitness at Washington University in St. Louis. While doing that, I got to know some physical therapists and realized there was this whole other world to exercise and um, you know other ways of managing barriers to getting more physically active. So um, got super interested, got offered a, half ride to go back to pt school at washington university and the rest is history i uh finished that up got a master's degree and started practicing in chicago Uh, i've been practicing now for over 28 years and continued uh, all this time to have a passion for health promotion fitness wellness prevention and have always wanted to really integrate the two and i think as a young PT starting out, you know, I was, I was just learning how to be a PT and learning uh, to do all the, the things that PTs do. And as time's gone on, uh, because I think medicine is changing and I'm starting to see that integrating uh, more of a biopsychosocial approach to medicine and a more fitness forward approach to PT has really, you know, I think spurred me on now to feel like I can really uh, combine the two. So it's so where I've landed where I've landed and just just recently started my own practice after a long time of doing this jumping out at a an older age, but pretty excited about it. And uh, so far, it's gone well.
0: So tell us about that jump that you just made. Um, yeah. what, what sparked that, you know, I know you kind of talked earlier before we came on that you started as a side hustle and now you have your own practice.
2: Yeah, so I, I wish I would have done this ten years ago and had had the nerve, but <laughs> I did start out part-time to sort of dip my toes in the water and um found that I really liked it. I liked the independence. I think I think I was a little frustrated in a hospital system in terms of the time it took to, for instance, change a form or get a program started or, you know, get get the rest of the staff on board to hey, you know, there's there's really some new practice ideas we should be integrating. And so I thought, you know, if I could do this on my own, I'd have that freedom, the creativity to, to start new programs. And as I said, I felt like the, um, so I started out as, as a cash practice, which, which is becoming much more popular in physical therapy and in medicine, right? So if you have a high deductible, um, sometimes it might be more advantageous to actually pay cash for services if you can opt out of your insurance. So that was going fairly well, but I was, I was still getting uh, the question about, you, know, you don't take my insurance. So through getting, getting connected with a management service organization, they really kind of helped me, guided me to, why don't you find your own space? We can get you credentialed with insurance. And so just adding that, that layer of availability or access uh, for other people to have to, to see me. And so, uh, yeah, I made the big leap in 2019. Uh, found a space in Shorewood, uh, started building it out, and then was ready to open in April. And the pandemic hit, so I uh, ended up having to delay opening till May, which fortunately wasn't too long. You know, started opening with uh, some pretty pretty stringent practices of uh, obviously now mandatory masking. At the time, it wasn't mandatory screening, temperature taking, very rigorous cleaning, and spacing appointments out um, to to an hour so that you know we have time to clean in between. So I, I would say I have a pretty safe, low-risk practice. It's always only me and one other patient in the clinic at one time, so we don't have a lot of people coming and going.
1: Well, congratulations on your new endeavor. Thank you. Uh, Talking more about PT, can you tell us how you're able to guide people to better physical well-being and maybe even a more active lifestyle? And then how does that help people reduce their pain?
2: Yeah, so good question. I think, I think for me as a, as a physical therapist, where um, I have a little bit of an added skill to guide people to more physical activity is when, when the barriers to physical activity are pain you know, and maybe drilling down to, you know, what's causing that pain. Is it physical? Is Are there some psychosocial determinants that are contributing? And so I think just having that, that extra knowledge to say, you know, this is why your hip hurts and, you know, let's let's add a really individualized approach to your exercise program uh, to be able to get you to be more active. So we reduce that barrier of, you know, the, the pain. Um, I also work with people that, uh, you know, have declined in balance or just declined in function. Um, and again, just using, using my physical therapy skills to uh, help them get more active again because of those declines.
0: And It sounds like your skills yeah. and your practice differ from, I wouldn't say, the traditional physical therapist, just in how you incorporate more physical well being. Um, and I know you talk a little bit about just more preventative Um, because you know yes people can come see a physical therapist when they get injured right Mm -hmm. Um, but how can you do other how do you work with your um, patients on a more preventative you know basis to mitigate pain and just overall take better care of themselves
2: yeah so I mean I think the the first question or the first thing I guess I'd like to talk about is from a from a prevention standpoint there's you know, there's many forms of prevention. There's there's primary prevention, which would be to you know recognize risk factors and and try to intervene and work towards reducing those risk factors towards chronic disease. Um, then there's also secondary and tertiary prevention, which is probably where I end up working more as a physical therapist for people that already have chronic conditions, uh, persistent pain. So again, this is where I can start to use my skills, again, to reduce those barriers um, to getting people more active. Where I say I would differ a little bit is that I, I think I've been a little bit of an early adopter of the, uh, the biopsychosocial aspect of, of medicine, um, you know, of, of maybe starting to look at my practice more as lifestyle medicine. Um, I think very traditionally, and, and it still happens in a lot of disciplines in medicine, We You know, we used to look at treating somebody's knee or treating someone's ankle or shoulder instead of treating the person. So I talk a lot to my patients, you know, when they say, oh, you know, my knee hurts and my shoulder hurts too, but that's not why I'm here. Or, you know, I'm really fatigued or I'm depressed, but that's not why I'm here. And it's absolutely why they're here. And it absolutely needs to be incorporated. So, you know, I think um, we're definitely seeing that change in physical therapy where we are not just treating... The body part but the patient and again we've also learned so much more about pain that it's it's changed the way we're we're addressed
0: yes yeah, so you mentioned that Say biopsycho that. so i men- think while we're seeing that move a lot in physical therapy sorry oh no i'm sorry um you mentioned the biopsychosocial a couple times can you just explain for our listeners a little bit more about what exactly you mean sure so again um the biological
2: component of, of treating somebody would be if you had an injury. So for instance, if you have knee arthritis, um, which, which isn't an injury, but say you have knee arthritis, then we're, you know, we're treating uh, the fact that there's a, a physical component um, to your pain. What's interesting about arthritis that we've learned as of late is that we really don't think arthritis is a wear and tear Disease anymore. We've learned so much about the fact that inflammation is a huge contributor, and we also know that there's a lot of things that contribute to inflammation. So, this is where the, the psychosocial piece comes in. Um, you know, are there, are there other things contributing, such as depression, anxiety, the fact that we're not sleeping well, that we're not hydrated? Those are all huge contributors to bringing up inflammation and to actually maybe being the cause of arthritis more than actual wear and tear or mechanical things. So, and then the social piece is obviously, is, as I know you guys know, is the social determinants of health. I mean, there's, there's many situations uh, socially that can, again, make, make life very difficult and can really reduce your health status and ability to, to be well or to recover from, from health stressors. So that's what I mean about the biopsychosocial, really incorporating all of those into care.
1: So if someone comes into your office and they're having chronic pain, how are you addressing this? Like, you know, when you're talking about the biological, social, physio, whatever, you just right, say, right. when you're talking about all of that, how, like can you specifically tell us like, what are you doing? I, I'm coming in, I have pain everywhere, my neck is hurting, my shoulders are hurting, I'm sitting at a desk all day, mm-hmm. what are we doing
2: about it? Yeah, that's a really good question because that again is where um, things have really changed over the last 10 years in, in terms of our understanding of pain. So, you know, we, we used to attribute pain again to being a, a tissue problem. And, and that is the case initially sometimes when you've had an injury or you know, some sort of a strain that, that pain is likely really manifesting because there is a tissue problem. But um, what we now know about persistent or chronic pain is that tissues heal, right? So after, after six to eight, maybe 10 weeks tops, tissues heal, but sometimes pain persists. And why is that? You know, or why does it persist for some people and not others? And it's because the nervous system gets involved and um, there's sort of a ramping up of the nervous system that naturally happens when we first get injured, but sometimes that doesn't come back down. And so what happens over time is that the nervous system isn't managing pain well anymore. And again, there can be multiple contributors to this. So the more stressors, the more things that you have that fill up your cup, it's an analogy I use a lot, you know, to the point where sometimes the cup overflows uh, the more we can have that persistent pain. So you know we don't manage chronic pain the same way anymore at all. I mean I think a lot of times people used to be really, you know, invalidated and said, well, you know, there's nothing wrong. We don't, we're not seeing anything on a scan, and therefore there's nothing wrong. But again, you know, you can't, you're not, you can't see these nervous system changes. Although although we're starting to, we're starting to see some interesting. Uh, tests that we can use to see that. So so in answer to the question, in terms of management, it, it is very uh, psychosocial approach, you know, trying to get at, um, you know, what are some of these stressors and how can we manage them in addition to getting people moving more. But that's uh, very individualized. It's, it's very different for everybody. So I don't have a formula uh, other than to say that we have to include, again,
0: all of the potential contributors. Yeah, I love this. And Marnie, this is this is so consistent with our philosophy on health. And it really gets to the whole person, not just coming in treated for a shoulder injury, but then there's anxiety and other pain yes. going on. And it's really getting to the root cause, which is another belief, you know, especially in mm-hmm. more like the, the functional medicine space as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that physical therapists and that you in particular are diving into this now. And you mentioned that there's some tests to look at the nervous system is that right mm-hmm. that's really cool what does that yep. look like how do yeah do so that?
2: it's interesting that there's been some um, PET scans or brain scans that they're starting to look at and um one example that comes to mind immediately that was one of the very early ones was that um, somebody that's having chronic pain when they do a pet scan you know there's certain areas of the brain that will really light up in terms of uh probably speaking a little bit to sort of severity, intensity of pain. And just after one session of pain education, sort of trying to explain pain, which is actually the name of the book of the author that did this study, is to start to educate people about pain. You know, what does it mean? How threatening is this pain versus something else? Um, And once they've had that 15 minute session to sort of start to understand pain and lower that threat level of, of the pain, and, they, and then they put them back in the scanner, and all of a sudden, the areas that lit up before are gone. You know? So it's much less of a activity in the brain after just a 15-minute uh, education session. So it's really interesting, and there's more and more of that going on um, in the whole world of
0: the brain, which is very interesting. And now we want to take a quick break from today's conversation to give a shout out to one of our sponsors. Lakewinds Co-op, which is a favorite grocery store of ours to shop at in the Twin Cities. We love that Lakewinds has such high standards and vets every single product on their shelves, including their amazing personal care and supplement section so that we don't have to. As busy parents, we don't always have the time or the desire to read every ingredient label. And we, when we shop at Lakewinds, we have confidence that it's been done for us.
1: Grocery shopping should be an enjoyable and calm experience, and Lakewind's does everything to make your experience stress-free from the moment you walk in the door. The decor and aesthetics are really calming and inviting, and we have never met such knowledgeable and friendly staff in all the departments, including meat and seafood, in the wellness department, and produce. We love Lakewind's produce section, which focuses on organic and fair trade products. About 95% of the produce is organic and local as much as possible, and they really support the local and small sustainable farmers right here in Minnesota and Wisconsin.
0: The meat buyers actually visit the farms. They talk to the ranchers and see their practices to ensure that the animals are ethically raised and treated, which is really important to us. All of their meat is free from additives, synthetic preservatives, nitrates, antibiotic residues, steroids, and added growth hormones. Unlike many traditional grocery stores, Lakewind's has a banned ingredient list that is used to vet the products on their shelf, which includes artificial flavors, colors, preservatives, high fructose corn syrup, hydrogenated oil, etc. This applies to the food on their shelves as well as the supplements and beauty and personal care products in their wellness department. If an item doesn't meet the product standards, Lakewind's doesn't allow it on their store. And we love that peace of mind.
1: We also love how they seek out local small batch makers who meet their standards and really try to support our local businesses. We all know that maintaining a healthy body and mind has huge implications on our immune systems and being able to fight off the flu. So support your health and wellness in the new year by shopping at your local co-op. You can find the fabulous Lake Lakewinds co-ops in Minnetonka, Chanhassen and Richfield or have groceries delivered from Instacart. While Lakewinds Co-op is a member-owned store, you don't have to be a member to shop and receive their weekly specials. Although we highly recommend that you do become members like us for additional monthly savings and an annual dividend. You
0: can find out more by going to lakewinds.coop and when you're there, be sure to check out their delicious recipes. And if you don't live in the Twin Cities, we highly encourage you to find your local co-op by heading over to National Co-op Grocers and finding one near you.
1: So you mentioned physio fitness earlier. Mm -hmm. What is that and how do you incorporate that into your practice?
2: Yeah. So uh, physio fitness is uh, almost kind of like having a physical therapist as a personal trainer. So it can either be a standalone. So if if you don't qualify for traditional physical therapy where you've got a it's considered to be medically necessary. You know, you've had a recent injury or a recent decline in your health status or a worsening of some pain that's been recurrent. Um, That might be the route you'd take in terms of traditional physical therapy. But if you've got a fairly stable uh, condition, you know, like stable uh, coronary artery disease or Parkinson's disease or um, diabetes, or a, again, persistent pain that's fairly stable. Uh, this would be a good avenue as a standalone uh, to just again be able to address some of those barriers through through my lens of you know evaluating why you're having pain, and then incorporating that into that individualized fitness forward movement forward approach to getting more active and fit it's also a good transition coming out of physical therapy. So once we've reached those physical therapy goals, I do have a lot of people that then transition over to continuing to work with me in the physio fitness space, just cause it, you know, again helps with motivation, accountability, and continuing to monitor some of these, these health conditions.
0: That's so cool how you can integrate the two like that. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Um, what are some of the most common issues that you treat? Well, I treat
2: a large variety. I I never ended up specializing in one area. I still consider myself a generalist. So I like to treat uh, the active older adult. Um, I like to treat uh, women in their perimenopausal phases because we see a lot of uh, spikes in tendon problems in that that time period, tendonitis, tendonopathies. I like to treat um, arthritis. I actually currently have a a program called the Conservative Arthritis Project that I just started. It's a 12-week program that uh, is covered by insurance for the first six weeks, and then the next six weeks are kind of that physio fitness model. Um, Again, just because we know so much more about arthritis. I
0: have
1: a question about that. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, that's good. if do you need to be diagnosed from a doctor in order to come or since you're more pay for service anybody can come and do something like that
2: yeah so i um i am i am not just pay for service i also take all insurances so i'm now credentialed with all insurance programs so it depends on your insurance minnesota is a direct access state so not everybody needs a physician referral to see me um usually when when someone gets a hold of me we'll we'll check benefits, and, you know, let them know whether or not they need a physician's referral. Medicare is the exception. Medicare and Medicaid, um, you do need a physician's referral to see me, but so that's usually pretty easy to get.
1: Okay, continue on about your arthritis.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so arthritis is an area that's really fascinating to me that I love to treat conservatively. I mean, I, I really believe, because we're seeing such a spike in arthritis at younger ages, that we can manage it very well without surgery, which I know a lot of people would, would not agree with me about, but I really think we can. Uh, tendon problems, I like treating runners, so you know, young, young as well as older runners. Uh, so master athletes is another area that I really like to treat. And then uh, I think in general, I have really developed a more modern approach to managing the older adult. Um, I think we used to be afraid to load our older adults because we were worried that we were going to hurt them. And I think the prevailing thought now is really that we probably underloaded our older adults and that we really actually, you know, are going to ha- put them in more danger by not
0: giving them a little bit of a higher, <laughs> higher activity level. So, Oh, I love that. And that's yeah. probably such a, I don't know, just an underserved community, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Can you share maybe like a success story of someone you've worked with, maybe this physio fitness program that you have or arthritis? I'd love to, you know, even learn more about that.
2: Yeah, Um, yeah. So um, recently I I enrolled someone in this this new program that I started, the Conservative Arthritis Project. And this was a a gal that was a competitive downhill skier, um, but had stopped skiing because she uh, was diagnosed, started having some knee pain um, in her late 50s, um, stopped skiing because of it, um, started biking and was managing it somewhat with biking. But anyway, um, yeah, through the program, I think she really got stronger and uh, gained confidence and learned a lot about arthritis, what it is and what it isn't. Some of the the myth busters, right, What, what you should and shouldn't do. She hasn't tested it out on the slopes yet, but she's going to. And she started running for the first time in like 15 years so I mean wow. I think again wow. you could really see where she was getting the advice to have surgery um, and still is um, when you when you're looking at that from another discipline and yet uh, she's she's managing pretty well so I've seen I've seen a number of those success stories with the you know the arthritic knees that were told you know you got to schedule surgery and oftentimes they send them to physical therapy as a um, last ditch or they kind of set them up you know we'll go ahead and do the physical therapy, but it's going to fail, and we'll see you in six weeks, research, <laughs> which is just maddening, right? I mean, that's just not always true. And so anyway, that, that's been fun to kind of, you know, disprove that. Um, yeah, I, so those are a couple of them. I, I also love when people who are who have had no history at all of physical activity, you know, just really never been part of their wheelhouse, and, you know, they come in and very hesitant, you know, and very nervous about – starting a fitness program and, you know, especially cause they've got, again, underlying conditions or, or persistent pain. And, you know, you slowly start to sneak in and sneak up the, the activity level. And all of a sudden they're just amazed at what they can do. They're feeling better. And, um,
0: you know, it's just yeah, it's great. It's great to see those changes. Oh, that's so great. I mean, you're just having such a positive impact on these people's lives and well-being, and be able to move and do things that they couldn't, didn't think they could ever do again without surgery. Yeah. Um, I love your approach to really just, you know, like this 12 week art program. It's not easy. You know, it takes a while right. to get to it, it, and you have to do hard work, I'm sure, to get there. But yeah. there are other solutions that may actually be better in the end. Yes, so, exactly. Not 100% exactly. Right. Either, right?
2: Yeah, and the research actually really demonstrates that. I mean, you know, when you look at things like injections or, or knee surgeries or meniscal surgeries, for instance, which are starting to be done less and less, when you compare, people that have had surgery or that have had 12 weeks of physical therapy and you look at them a year out, there's no difference. So it's kind of interesting that you know when you, when you see that, then you start to really think about the risks of surgery, the risks of some of these invasive procedures versus like you say, a little bit of hard work and time.
1: Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I have a similar, I have a story kind of like that. Personally, yeah. I um, hurt my knee a few years ago in yoga mm-hmm. Yep. the point where I could not run at all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was so devastating to me and I couldn't sit like on my knees, like you know, when mm-hmm. mm-hmm. on my knees cuz it mm-hmm. hurt so badly and mm-hmm. I used to, to do that very easily. Yep. And I ended up working with a trainer who's not a physical therapist, but mm-hmm. he helped me like basically get the strength back in mm-hmm. the around that area of my knee. Yep. And I think it took almost 2 years. Oh, wow. Okay. I have no knee pain. I can yep. run again. I can sit like that again. And I really didn't think I would ever be able to sit in yeah. that position again. Right. So it does work without. It surgery. does.
2: It does. I have a same. I have a similar story too. I I had a bad uh, injury two years ago, ankle and tore a meniscus in my knee. And yeah, I mean, within a year, I was back running and just fine. So it it, it can't. You can recover
0: without surgery for a lot of things. And these stories are so great to share and give other people hope mm-hmm. that they don't have to go down the path of surgery and maybe, yes. you know, and, and to try some other things because there are people out there having great success. So yeah. I love yeah. that we're sharing this today.
2: Yeah. I have another really interesting share just because the whole issue of surgery. So there's, and these studies don't happen here because I don't think we can get away with them in the U.S., but there's been some studies in Europe where they've done uh, sham surgeries on a rotator cuff here. So they would go in and actually repair the rotator cuff in half of the people and just open them up and not repair the rotator oh. cuff. The other half, I know, right? Sounds crazy. 12 months out, they are both doing the same. So what's wow. going on there, right? And what, I think what's really going on there is it's a lot of things, right? Rest and, and then having therapy, which they could have had without the surgery. Because again, rotator cuff tears are no longer uh, mandated surgery. They, can recover without surgery. So kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. Super interesting. And, and we're not saying that surgery is not necessary.
2: No, no, I mean, for sure.
1: I want to say like my daughter actually had hip surgery mm-hmm. last year after a mm-hmm. full year of physical therapy. And yeah. Lots of pain and she is like fully recovered now. Yeah,
2: No, there's um, definitely times. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not suggesting that surgery is never necessary either. I think, we have to respect that there, yeah, there are times where we definitely need it for sure.
1: There's a time and a place for it. Yes, absolutely. Um, anyway, we do love to leave our listeners with some practical tips that they can implement immediately into their life. And I'm wondering if you could share you know, a few strategies or tips for our listeners.
2: Sure, so I guess what I would share is just some general tips around pain management, especially acutely. So. You know, if you, if you find yourself, you know, either having had an injury or more commonly like a strain, for instance, you wake up with back pain, a couple of tips I would say is try to think about back pain or other types of pain as the common cold. Everyone gets them. It happens, you know, to just about everyone at times. And not to worry. I think sometimes getting, getting worried is... Um, sort of exacerbating the problem. Because we know, for instance, with back pain, you know, 80% of the time it's not anything super serious. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't, if it it continues or gets really bad, you shouldn't be screened to make sure there isn't something really serious going on. But if it's kind of a first time, achy naggy kind of strain sprain, try not to worry. We know that, you know, in the beginning, the brain puts out pain because it's trying to protect you and that's important because we reduce our activity level a little bit initially. But then once we're past that phase we kind of let things calm down and we have to build things back up and so I think um, getting with somebody that really understands pain is important because it can kind of guide you through again you know what it means and how serious it is and when it's okay to have a little bit or when it's not so I think uh, those those are some tips I'd give you know stay positive um, try not to worry um try to get back to normal activity as quickly as possible and you know if
0: you're struggling try to
2: get with somebody that can help guide you through that so
0: one question i have kind of on this with a tip maybe you could provide <laughs> so many of us are sitting at our computer even more right because not only are we working for those of us that have dust jobs Right. working from home, but then a lot of times we have all these Zoom meetings and things that yes. we normally, even Zoom social happy hours. So you're, right. again, yeah. sitting in a chair and staring at a computer, right. which we know is not great for us long-term. So what tips may you have for someone that's in that situation during yeah? pandemic?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think with the advent of COVID and sitting more, uh, you know, we've seen definitely a decline in activity level in some people and in, in others, we've seen an increase. People are getting outside more, people are Buying bikes for the first time. So, I think we've seen a mix of, of good and bad in that regard. But in terms of the sitting, more, I would say definitely my advice is, is get up and move almost, as much yeah. as you can. So, you know, take, take a break every hour and start to move. And, you know, I'll sometimes give people a lot of uh, tips on, you know, just some easy um, neck and back exercises that you can do while you're sitting, just to take a break. You know, there's, there's a lot of controversy on, you know, does this, this bad posture, and, you know, since sitting a lot of times we talk about that, cause pain, and, and really the research isn't, isn't validating that, right? I mean, it's, um, it's not to say that if you have pain and you're in one position for long periods that your body isn't gonna talk to you, but just posture in and of itself is probably not uh, causing pain. Uh, it's the lack of movement. And so just, just moving more, you know, getting up, like I say, maybe getting some specific exercises that might be more beneficial for you based on where you're having your pain, based on if, if you do have some really significant postural faults, but, but mostly it's moving more. So that'd be one tip. And then certainly outside of just moving, you know, in brief little periods while you're sitting is, is just in general to get more active. Because we also know people that exercise regularly just generally have less pain, even if they're sitting for long periods.
0: Okay. I love that. so where can people find you? Like on your website, social media? Yeah. So, uh, on my
2: website, um, would you like me to give the web address or? Sure. And we'll also link
0: it all up in the show notes, but
2: yeah, so it'll it'll be linked in the show notes, but it's, uh, it's www.engagephysicaltherapymn.com. Um, that's one place to find me you can actually um, request an appointment or request a free consult on my website Uh, I also have a Facebook page um, work phone if you want to just chat and uh, as I said I do offer a free consult whether it's either in person or by by video or by phone so you can we can chat and you can see if I would be a good fit for you Uh, currently I am also offering um, Uh, special where if you sign up to do a five or 10 pack of physio fits with me, uh, I'm throwing in the free uh, virtual physio yoga class that I do on Wednesday nights, which also includes a recorded version that I send out after the class. Nice. Yeah. So those are a couple spots to find me.
1: And that sounds great. And we'll link that all up in the show notes. And Thank one you. final question we do like to ask all our guests is, what does the art of living well mean to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, living well really means building resilience, uh, both mentally and physically, so that you can kind of take whatever life throws at you. Right. And I mean, I think resilience is, is the ability to, to resist and recover from functional decline uh, when when you have health stressors. And we all have health stressors, right? Every day, and so that—that um, that to me is a big piece of living well. Um, I think it's also um, healthy aging, which can happen at, at any point in life. Um, doesn't we, I think we associate that with you know being older? But I think there's transitional points in our lives throughout our whole continuum where um, it's important to assess, you know, what's what's contributing to to our health status, and so. So healthy aging, I think, is is another uh, way of living well and just an individualized approach. What works for you, um, you know, and and, uh, finding some some purpose in life, finding uh, what works for you and being able to do what you value. These are all kind of, to me, is what healthy aging is.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's such great um, insight for everyone. Um, and I
1: love the idea of healthy aging. And I agree with you that it's not just older people because I right. mean, you could be 10 and you're still aging, right? Absolutely.
2: Aging. We're always aging and, yes. and 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 we have transitional, you know, points that, you know, yeah, can, can throw us for a curve.
0: And maybe reframing how we use that word aging, you know, I think absolutely. It has a little bit of a negative connotation, but you're right. You're right. And I, I don't always like to use it because I think
2: there is, a, you know, there's a lot of ageism going on right now. So I never like to, to use the age card.
0: <laughs> well, but, I say um, I felt better at 40 and even now in my mid 40s than I did in my 20s or even yes, teens. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You can start at any point and still, still gain. If, absolutely.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on our show today. We've loved having you. Excited to learn about your new endeavor. Thank you.
2: Thank you. It's been a real pleasure and a pleasure getting to know you as well.
0: Thanks, Sue. Have a great day.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media.
1: If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.